Oh, Afghanistan, save us from Babylon. If they can take your name away, can they take us too? It shows Reuters photojournalist Namir Noradan, driver Saeed Jamak, and several others gunned down by U.S. military in a public square in eastern Baghdad. Pilots apparently mistook the camera carried by a newsman for a weapon. Come on, fire! Hey, Roger. After the initial shooting, an unarmed group of adults and children in a minivan arrived on the scene and attempted to transport the wounded. The van was fired upon as well. Come on. WikiLeaks showed photographs of the children in the van who survived. We can infer that these sort of attacks are going on in Afghanistan. That this is the reality of modern warfare. Oh, Afghanistan, save us from Babylon. If they can take your name away, can they take us too? The real reason that um, I think Americans are going to be concerned is that, there, that, is that there is no prospect that the mission for which their sons and daughters are being sent can be accomplished. Let me go. Get me to go. Just release. Get me to be released. Uh, I would recommend halting the surge uh, and a rather rapid withdrawal of a significant part of the U.S. forces that have been sent into Afghanistan over the last year. I want to go home. The men, Afghanistan men, who are in our prisons, they want to go home too. Oh, Afghanistan, save us from Babylon. If they can take your name away, can they take us too? April 26, 2010, and you've got Oz in your ears. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osman. Hiya, Pete. Oh, well, I'm doing fine. It's uh, it's spring once again. Yes. Afghanistan goes on and on and on. Oh, my. Excuse me, Mr. Bergman. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I, I want to know what the rating, this you're starting this program here? Yeah. And I want to know what the rating of this program is. Are you calling this a PGP, a G, a, or an, is this an R-rated program? I'd just like to know in advance. For uh, forewarning our uh, your listeners, if you have any. Well, this is this show is rated X the unknown. Uh huh. Yeah, you're in big trouble there, Mr. Yeah. Bergman. Everyone who can't take it is advised not to listen. Well, I just I just want to read you here what we have is an R rating on if you if you have any of these things on your show, I want to know about it right now. You have strong uh, uh, brutal violence here. Well, we just just heard some oh strong God. brutal We're violence shooting trouble. people from helicopters. You got it throughout. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. What about uh, pervasive language? You got that on the well, show? My uh, language is I do persevere in speaking. So oh, yes, well, we're, we're in trouble now. What about the sexual content? Excuse me, but what about that? Well, uh, yes. Nud- I mean, nudity? You got nudity on this show? I'm naked under my clothes. Uh, what about uh, some drug use? Some, no. Some drug use. No, no, conti- no. Pervasive drug use. Pervasive not some, drug use. Not and drug and uh, none, none of this would involve 11-year-old girls, however. Absolutely not. Well, that's a good thing, because that... I'm not going to go see that movie either. <laughs> this this is a movie in your mind, and it just, it may be too much for you. Well, I tell you, Dave. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, the, the, you're, you're going to get rated on every one of these shows. I just want you to know. <laughs> it's, yeah, what, they're going to come in and... <laughs> It's the web police, man. Well, you, you know, didn't think they were out there, but they're there. They're there. You know, when I, I was giving a, a speech in, in Canada a few years ago, Canada's amazing. They're completely hip and completely square. It's a combination of the two simultaneous. A guy stood up and said, well, can't Bill Gates buy the Internet? I said, no, he can't. <laughs> he can spend zillions of dollars trying to create, you know, the premier sites uh, unsuccessfully but no he can't and no one can buy the internet well can he get us out of afghanistan that's what i want to know no all he can do is stop malaria in afghanistan so there'll be more taliban to fight you know <laughs> oh i thought ahmed was dying of malaria but then warren buffett and melinda <laughs> gates and bill came in and s- saved him and now he's an active uh, what uh, insurgent yep yeah, yep. Well, yeah, insurgent, right. Yeah, insurgent. He's not a terrorist. He's just an insurgent, which means, let me see. Let me, oh, it means he lives here. Okay. He lives here. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. I see. Well, let's, insurgents. There's an insurgent general, I assume. 
<laughs> yeah, Afghanistan may be dangerous to your health. There, there should be go. an insurgent general's, general's warning. warning. Uh, Staffed right across it. Yeah, on every piece of ammunition. Oh, Ahmed, look, this bullet from America, it has your name on it. That part of the program was, uh, was rated R, sir. Yeah, it was rated R for relevant. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, Afghan goes on, Afghan goes on, and um, here we are. As they say, the Irish Afghan Glee, I think they say that. <laughs> the best, excuse, the excuse best laid plans of, 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 of mice and McChrystal <laughs> Afghan Glee. Well, you know, we just keep. We just keep trying to figure out some way to put those people on our sides. We keep trying to grab those hearts and minds. Okay, front page of the New York Times. Taliban disrupt pay to Afghans. Uh, Since their offensive here in February, the Marines have flooded Marja with hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. The tactic seems to win over wary locals, at least aims to, by paying them compensation for property damage or putting to work men who could otherwise be looking to the Taliban for support. The approach helped in Iraq, but in Marja, uh, where the Taliban seem to be everywhere, and most of the time it's impossible to even tell who they are, they have already found ways to throw out the strategy in many places, including killing or beating some who take the Marines' money or just pocketing themselves. You know, you shake hands with them, says one of the uh, Marine public affairs officers, but you don't know they're Taliban. They have the same clothes and the same style, and they're, and they're using the money against the Marines. They're buying IEDs and buying ammunition and everything. I mean, this is absurd. We, we did this early on, just after, um, after Russia in, invaded uh, Afghanistan. We sent in lots and lots of literally bags and boxes of money to the Mujahideen. In fact, Saudi Arabia matched. Every dollar we sent was matched by Saudi Arabia. So we'd bring in a big oak trunk of money, and they'd bring in another big oak trunk of money, and it was all to, like, pay for the Mujahideen to throw the Russians out, which I guess they did. The, the difference was they didn't want us there. They don't see much difference between us and the Russians, except we're still there trying to give them money. And it, it, it doesn't work. Um, it, it's, it's an odd, odd place for us to be at this time. We don't belong in Afghanistan. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no isolationist by any means, but this is a hopeless crusade. And indeed, it's seen by everybody, I think, who's over there in Pakistan or Iran or Afghanistan who's a Muslim as a crusade. It's, it smacks of what? The 12th century when we went down to rescue the city for Christ. And now we're in there rescuing Afghanistan for who? It's hard to tell. It depends on who's on the other end of these rucksacks of money that are delivered <laughs> every week. And one of the battalion's outpost shipments of cash arrive regularly. The last was 10 million Afghanis, or $210,000 stuffed into a rucksack. The battalion doles out 150000 a week, said the Marines. $150,000 a week. Bring it to Akron. That's where they need it. They don't need it in Marja. They were doing just fine without us. They grow opium there. They grow lots and lots of opium. So they're doing just fine. But just in case, we figure, just in case to keep them loyal and keep them from being Taliban, which means what? Being people who live in the village? I mean, I'm no Taliban fan, but, you know, hey, they're all over the place. They live there. Okay, on one afternoon in March, 40 Afghans could be seen clearing away several layers of rubble remaining from a bazaar leveled during a NATO bomb strike two years ago. The $190,000 contract is expected to take a month to complete. They're paying Afghanis to pick up the rubble from NATO airstrikes from two years ago. You could pay people in this country $190,000 to pick up the rubble that's left by the, the, the destruction of the industrial infrastructure. Go to Akron with a, with a sack of money. You'll get people to clear up rubble without any question being asked. But no, we're in Afghanistan trying to win the hearts and the minds of the people with sacks of money. I mean, I love, you know, Barack Obama. I think he's a marvelous man, but Come on, Mr. President. I mean, I know you were stuck with this thing, but there's got to be some way to get out. This just isn't working. And I found a poet. Uh, drag him in here. Hey, Ray, would you help me out here with you? Well, no. certainly. Uh, this is, this minute, is a famous minute. poet, man. I can't let him on the air until I know who he is. Beat, beat St. Jack, man. You've heard of him. Is that Beat St. Jack? That's the man that taught Bukowski how to drink. That's right, man. He brought his shopping cart in here. We cannot have that. 
Please, leave the shopping cart. So, Beat Man. Just leave it out, yeah. Yeah, this is your radio interview, man, and you do your poetry, you do your thing. I understand. Now, Now, you're going to do that, you're going to do that lonesome saxophone thing. No, no, man, I I gave up the lonesome saxophone. It's a bunch of shit, you know. It's What? You are modern. You saying that you are a modern kind of a guy? Yeah, yeah. So, I got got a new, just a minute. I I bring my music along with me. I set it up. Okay. 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 Take that thing off for you. It's in my shopping cart. Give him the shopping cart back, right? Where my speakers are, man. All right, all right. Okay. And now are we ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you want shall I introduce this or are you gonna introduce it? No, man, just Alright, here he is the famous man from the alley, Beat St. Jack. Once again for the flavored fuel. The New World Mint trots out a delectably collectible selection of six handsomely hand-molded chief executive posteriors in pure 24-karat oil-fed cream red butter. So purchase your personal thank you, Mr. President's prize package right away today, and we'll bend over the moon to show you a four cheeks for two New World deal you can have as long as they last. That's right. We'll ship out your very first sofa-sized send-up of our New World Mint Julius and self-tossed Caesar the W. Bush Jr. Butter Butt with a slick, kissable Texas cookout finish in pretzel tan that smirks like a million points of friendly fire. Then choose your choice dance. Try out the unlovable loser of the unknighted, unevil, umpire the lesser elder George H.W. Bush Butter Butt. Yes, some folks think that a daily fat pat on a tight bush brings fortunes to lucky fingers fast. And on the inside. Or why not pick on the prickly X? People's Choice Express Yourself Pops with a hop on pop Pexies coccyx sent frozen in FedEx's truck and extra finely struck out the way you'll always want to think about watching it laid low and inside. Spread wide. Suitable for getting framed. Kiss up today. The presidential butts and butter from the New World Mint where our wildest dreams are made of fat. Okay, baby, I got it. Wow, help him out, man. Roll him out. Roll him out. Beat St. Jack, man. All right. Front page New York Times, Obama bypasses Senate process filling 15 posts. Display of authority, a move sure to provoke new confrontation with GOP. No, it is Obama showing his G-O-N-A-D's to the GOP. He has been temporizing with these white gnomes for months now. They have, For seven months, they have kept him from filling 15 key posts in the Treasury Department and Homeland Security. And finally, he's saying, uh-uh, that's it. So after 41 members of the GOP minority in the Senate, that's all of them, you know, that's the ones that all say no together. I mean, if they had an N tattooed on one cheek and an exclamation point tattooed on the other, they could all moon Obama and it would say no 41 times. So that's what he's facing. So finally, they send him a letter saying, you know, when we go into recess, don't do a recess appointment. Recess appointment means if the Senate won't confirm or deny one of your nominations. And when they go into recess, you can make a recess appointment and those people stay until the end of a congressional session, which in this case is sometime in 2011. Anyway, so 41 Senate Republicans sent him a letter urging him not to appoint not to appoint this guy named Craig Becker, who's a union lawyer, to the National Labor Relations Board, which up to now has only had two out of its five members. Therefore, it can do nothing. Therefore, workers who need, the, you know, who need their help against the bosses don't have nobody in the room for them. So he, he gets this letter from you know, Mitch McConnell and the other 40 gnomes that say, don't do it. Please, he. This is too partisan. You want to be nonpartisan? Don't do this. They leave. He does it the next day. <laughs> yep, Becker and fourteen other interim appointments, and the GOP is just going crazy. But says Obama, the United States Senate has the responsibility to approve or disapprove of my nominees. He said, but if in the interest of scoring political points, Republicans in the Senate refuse to exercise that responsibility, I must act in the interest of the American people and exercise my authority to fill these positions on an interim basis. 
Well, he's finally, you know, letting the world know that he has he has no one in the in in the in the GOP that will collaborate with him. They won't step across the line to say hello, and they're upset because they say, you know, the Democrats uh, during the Bush administration they held up the appointment of this guy Bolton to be our ambassador to the UN. This man Bolton, who hated the UN, who has called for its destruction from the get-go, is now being sent to represent us. It's a shameful act. So of course we held it up. So Obama has finally taken charge. How? By telling us months ago, it's all about health reform. If I have to be a one-term president, I'm not going to, in quotes, kick the can on this one. So he went all the way with health reform and he got it. Maybe it's not the greatest health reform in the world. It doesn't have everything, but now we start sticking stuff on it, right? There wasn't even any warm body to stick things on, but there it is. And suddenly he's the can-do president instead of the, what do they call, the wounded president. The president whose star no longer has its luster. I love the fact that people who work for newspapers, which means they work by the week, can find the time to get these metaphors going. It's fabulous. Anyway, he's now the can-do president, the man who, standing upon the, sh- the shoulders of his patient victory in healthcare, is now able to basically give the finger to the GOP. I mean, I love it because I know how powerful this man is. Oh, he's just totally reformed uh, student loans. It's now possible to get a student loan and not have to pay for it till the end of your days. Uh, when I worked at the... Um, Um, Museum of Natural History in L.A. I was producing events for them a few years ago, and I met one of the uh, people who was full-time there. This lady was a former professor of, I believe, sociology at the University of Denver and was on the fast track for a professorship but couldn't stay because she couldn't pay off her student loans. When I worked on um, radio, I was an anchor for CBS for a couple of years, just just recently. And one of the uh, production assistants, his mom, was a paralegal and is still a paralegal and couldn't go to law school because she wouldn't be able to pay off her student loans. It's like an intellectual mortgage. It's a dead hand sitting on all the people who, what, made the unwise decision to go forward and further educate themselves and make themselves more qualified. And in exchange, they have become student loan slaves. Well, Obama has changed that. This man, this man is dispensational. You watch. They say, ooh, (laughs) uh, Democrats are going to really take a pasting in uh, November. Oh, they're just going to lose here and there. That's what Michael Steele told me recently when I was with him at the Voyeur Club watching some of those uh, pseudo-lesbian sex acts. Mike and I like to hang out at the Voyeur because, you know, um, they're all there. Lindsay Lohan was there. Lots of people in masks I I recognize from the Fox Network, but I can't exactly tell which from the other. So, you know, there's a lot of people ready to tell you that this man is like down, but I'm telling you, this man is up and out. It's Obama's year. You watch. The Democrats are going to gain seats in the House of Representatives and in the Senate. Oh, you say, whiz, man, you you really are out to lunch. Yeah, I'm out to lunch with Michael Steele, right? And as long as he's hanging out at the Voyeur Club and not getting like really live candidates to run for the GOP or big fat plutocrats to take money out of their Goldman Sachs pockets and make it possible as long as he's sitting there watching pseudo, pseudo lesbian sex acts, man won't even get down, then I don't think that the NOP, the GOP has a chance. And you can quote me on that because I'm going to quote myself. <laughs> you always do, Pete, so no problem there. <laughs> yeah, right. Who else? Yeah, the I, Nopers, huh? The Nopers. The NOPs, man, it never, never has there been such a solid wall of of no. It's just, I personally don't get it, except that they're they're all white guys, and they're all old, and they're all basically coming from locker rooms that you don't want to be in. And mm, and, and, yeah, and yeah. Obama is just too much for them. They. they his, oh, well, by, you know, I mean, it's a difference between guys that you would like to have a beer with and guys that you would run the other way before you'd have a beer with, right? Yeah, you know, pe- pe- basically. Pe- people during the, the, the Bush coup year said, you know, the thing about George, George about W is the kind of guy you'd like to have a beer with. Not. Yeah, I-, <laughs> I don't want to have a beer with him. Mm-mm. I don't know if I want to have a beer with Dukakis either. I mean, I, I guess, but with no, I want to have a, I want to have a beer with Barack Obama. 
Sounds like a fun evening. Yeah, now, Obama's right. You know, recently, he just mentioned the fact that that the atmosphere is getting really, really bad in Washington. He even mentioned the fact that that the, um, the, the this Christian militia that was just recently discovered that was ordered by their chief to kill all feds if necessary, and all of this, the, the, the rancorous side of Tea Party, that really kind of like, let's bring a gun to the yeah, party. To yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Here's a gun. Here's government is in this gun. This Browning will do it. He said that's not unlike what was happening before um, the Oklahoma bombing. Ah uh, yes, he yes, said, yes, indeed, sure. He Heats up. It does, and you know, and 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 people listen to that, and particularly if they're taking bad drugs or eating the wrong food or some combination thereof, they go crazy, man, and they think God starts talking in their ears mm-hmm. and telling them to go do some terrible things. <laughs> well, here's an example. Okay, this this is a, a beginning of a regular feature on Radio Free Oz. It's called Cringe. From the fringe, Ooh, I'm cringing already. Yeah, and this is this is this is the lovely calls that Representative John Stupak got after he voted for the health care reform uh, without his codicil that that required that no money be spent uh, by the federal government on abortion. Of course, he had made an arrangement with Obama, and the next day, with Obama there, signed a special order that said no, no use in health care for abortion. But people weren't listening; they were just angry. And so here's. Uh, number one, our first issue of Cringe from the Fringe. Congressman Stupak, um, you baby killing um, you, you turn a coat, son of a I hope you bleed out your ass, got cancer, and die, you, you You do not, you do not um, say that you're a pro-life and then for a, a few bucks, um, yeah, good turn cold and hurt the country. I hope you die. You are a bastard and a baby killer. You will rue the day you did this, Mr. Stupak. You are a disgusting man, and I hope you're haunted the rest of your living days because you won't be a congressman much longer. So you are a dirtbag, and the country loathes you. And God, bastard that you are, we think you're a devil. And you will go to your grave with this on your conscience. Was it worth it selling your soul? Stupak, you're a low-life, baby-murdering, scumbag, power-stealing crap. You and your family are scum. You ought to fill your pockets, bleed, and jump into the Potomac, punk. That's what you are, Stupak. You're a piece of crap. We despise you and every pop like you, Stupak. Congressman Stupak, you are one big piece of human There are millions of people across the country who wish you ill. And all of those thoughts projected on you will materialize into something that's not very good for you. We don't have to do anything but sit back and wish Go to hell, you piece of there are natural disasters and unnatural disasters. I would say that uh, litany of telephone calls was definitely an unnatural disaster. Haiti, a real natural disaster. And one of the singer-songwriters we will be featuring here on Radio Friaz is Josh Woodward, a young man who lives out in the middle of Ohio, not far from where I grew up. And when he heard about Haiti, he picked up his guitar. This is really, uh, said this is kind of like lo-fi, down-and-dirty demo. Uh, he was just inspired to write this about the Haiti happening, and it's called Motionless City. The TV man spoke of death on some coast. I saw the crumbling debris. Dealt me a blow, but I'm thankful to know that it could never happen to me. I am standing on motionless land, a constant under my feet. God for walls and a roof overhead. 
shove their daughters and sons. It's sad there are people with nothing to eat, but I'm thankful I'll never be one. To be free, no one deserves to be homeless alone. But it could never happen to me. I've lived my life righteous and wise. I've chosen my path carefully. Someone just has to be smiling on high. Cause it could never happen to me. No, I'm not without flaws, and I've suffered through loss. I've got problems away on my mind. I've got bills to pay and a son on the way, so I've gotta save every. So far from my door, as if tragedy lives overseas. I wish I could help, but I'm glad for myself that it could never happen to me. It could never happen to me. Well, there's a lot of people in the Obama administration wondering when they should declare that China is a currency manipulator. It's not child abuser, but it has kind of an, the same sort of sense internationally. They are manipulating their currency. According to the uh, United States Treasury, and people have known this for years, including the Chinese government, they have kept the value of their yuan, their, their money, down by 40%. That makes um, exports to the United States and other large markets relatively cheap and makes imports from places like us really expensive. And we've let them do it because in exchange they've done things like buy a trillion dollars worth of our bonds and not say whether they're worth what they're paying for or not. It's just kind of like a quiet thing. You know, we'll keep our money really, really, really cheap and we won't ask you how much your money is worth. It's it's a deal, but it's falling apart. And the, the Obama administration is saying, look, we can do this. We can declare you a, a manipulator, and then there's all these sanctions, yada, 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 yada. But we'd rather come to some other kind of understanding. If they float the yuan and it went up 10%, 20%, 30%, it would have a huge effect on world markets. All of a sudden, our stuff, the stuff that we still make, <laughs> whatever's left, goes over there at a much more competitive price. And all those soccer balls made by Chinese prisoners suddenly become more expensive. They cost 18 cents a piece instead of 12 cents a piece or something like it. Or maybe you have to buy two fewer pairs of designer jeans a week. Whatever it is, it's going to get more expensive to live off of Chinese goods. But here's the problem. If the Chinese appreciate the value of their currency, it means that all of the pensions that they owe and all of the state allotments that they're committed to suddenly are costing them a lot more money, at least in relationship to the dollar. And if they appreciate the yuan, it relatively depreciates the U.S. dollar, of which they own a trillion I mean, that's a lot of bucks. You can't walk out of that in suitcases. It takes years to get out of the room with that much money. And all of a sudden, it's going to be worth considerably less. Currency manipulation. How do we let this go on? How in the world do we allow ourselves to be manipulated by world currency? Good question. And here's the good news. I don't have an answer, but I'm going to find one. 
wrestling with stress puppies in the data swamp. Speed skating with wolves on the glass ceiling. Beating off the rat race with a mouse. Face it, you're too busy to lose the kind of money you're making. It's time to put our strong hand in your pocket. Turn it over. Give it up. Submit to Boom Dot Bust. Fly in on a boom. Drive home on a bus. Boom Dot Bust. A platform agnostic, browser blind, big bubble, bit broker. From US Whatgate Plus. Well, if I'm going to be able to see through the great firewall, then I'm, maybe I should be eating more carrots. So I, what about, how do I get carrots in China? So I go up and, on Chinese internet and I Google carrot and I get a blank screen. And that's because carrot in Mandarin, and I'm probably not doing that any justice, may seem innocuous enough, but it contains the same Chinese character as the surname of President Hu Jintao, President Hu Carrot. And the computers, long programmed to interpret Chinese language searches on the nation's leaders, uh, substitute an error message for the search result before it can sneak into a mainland computer. Oh, no. Today, China censors everything from the traditional print press, this is from the New York Times, to domestic and foreign internet sites, from cell phone text messages to social networking services, from online chat rooms to blogs, films, and email. It even censors online games. But that's not all. Not content to just block all those dissonant views, the government increasingly employs agents to peddle its views online in the guise of impartial bloggers and chat room denizens. And increasingly, it is backing uh, state-friendly clones of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all such foreign sites which have been blocked there forever. Here's what the president of China has to say about this. I think this will put us at ease. Whether we can cope with the Internet is a matter that affects the development of socialist culture, the security of information, and the stability of the state. This is what President Hu Carrot said in 2007. Well, it's a huge machine they're putting together to block the Internet. A huge machine. And this is the difference between a free society, America, and a few others, and unfree societies like China. I mean, they can, they can make all the soccer balls with their teeth in prison that they want to, but if they don't have the internet, they're just not living in the real world. So here it goes. They have this huge, huge system of censorship that uh, it's a vast state uh, um, uh, apparatus that uh, monitors and surveils the internet in every city Wherever you have an internet connection, this is according to Xiao Keng, an analyst of China's censorship system, who's at the University of California, Berkeley. Through that system, they get to every major website with content. Under a 2005 state council regulation, personal blogs, computer bulletin boards, and even cell phone text messages are deemed part of the news media subject to sweeping restrictions on their content. Yeah, they are, you know. Chat messages are news media. It's people talking to each other. The Chinese have every reason to be afraid of all those chat messages. They do, because it's going to bring them down. The Ministry of, uh, of Industry and Information Technology tried last year to expand automated censorship nationwide through mandatory green dam software that could remotely update lists of banned topics. Green dam. What about that dam that they, uh, they built in the middle of China and threw, what, millions of people out of their homes so that they could create electric power? And who could say no? So now it's a green dam little ears on your uh, internet and uh, in your cell phone looking for you to say, Carrot, what do I think of Chairman Carrot? Another strategy is manipulation. In recent years, local and provincial, provincial officials have hired armies of low-paid commentators to monitor blogs and chat rooms for sensitive issues that uh, then spin online comment in the government's favor. These people are like 
paid very low wages and they sit around all day responding to criticism in blogs and websites. Mr. Zhao, the guy from Berkeley, says in in Xiaozhou, a city southwest of Beijing, they deployed 35 internet commentators and 120 police officers to defuse online attacks on the local police after a traffic dispute. This is insane. This is anthill electronic insanity. By flooding uh, chat rooms with pro-police comments, the team turned the tone of online comment for negative to positive in just about 20 minutes. That's about all the time they've got. Because according to one official newspaper editor who refused to be named, why am I not surprised, propaganda authorities now calculate that confronted with a public controversy, local officials have a window of about two hours to block information and flood the web with their own line before the reaction of citizens is beyond control. That means the Chinese government has only two hours. They've only got two hours to put their great big finger in the great big hole in that great big dike that abuts the great big information highway. In distant Dungdong province, flowering entrepreneur Chin Fat was thrown into the deepest solitary confinement well for harboring bicameral thoughts. He figured he bought the farm. So he did, because he remembered to dial all the numbers you need to know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, plus 90. C.Fat, 30,000 short, Duck Dong Future Farm Futures, and that's confirmed. And that was the call that bought the farm, that floated the loan, that skinned the cat, that fed the village, that built the dam, that drained the wealth, that lifted the life of Chin Fat. Hello, Charles Fat, Worldwide Dung Dong, Duck Link, and Densong. Global success is in your finger when you dial 1-234-7856 plus 90. Wow, I can't think of any other numbers. Buy the numbers. Only 10 cents a mile from anywhere, no matter what they're calling you. Yeah, I'm being tough on the Chinese tonight. <laughs> I've hardly begun. Here's a tough one to read. Again, the gray lady. Crusading Chinese human rights lawyer whose disappearance more than a year ago caused an international outcry said Wednesday that he was abandoning his once prominent role as a government critic in hopes of being allowed to return and reunite with his family. In his first interview since he resurfaced two weeks ago, the lawyer Gao Ziheng said he did not wish to discuss his disappearance and whether he had been held and mistreated by the authorities. He appeared thinner and more subdued than the stocky, pugnacious civil rights defender of the past, though he said his health was fine. Mr. Zhao said the ordeal had taken a toll on him and his wife and two children who secretly fled China early last year to escape relentless harassment by the police. He disappeared into the custody of police security personnel shortly thereafter. He said, I don't have the capacity to persevere. Sitting straight back in a tea house near his apartment in northern Beijing. On the one hand, it's my past experiences, it's also that those experiences greatly hurt my loved ones. This ultimate choice of mine, after a process of deep and careful thought, is to seek the goal of peace and calm. His eyes brim with tears several times when he discussed his family, especially when he described seeing their shoes when he returned home for the first time on Tuesday. I completely lost control of my emotions because, to me, these are the three dearest people in the world, and now... We're like a kite with a broken string, he said. Among the most dauntless of a group of human rights lawyers, Mr. Zhao, 44, was a thorn in the Chinese government's side for much of the past decade. He advocated constitutional reform and took on difficult cases involving evangelical Christians and members of the banned Falun Gong spiritual group. He was jailed, tortured, and watched by the police until he disappeared 14 months ago. Vague statements from the government about his whereabouts drew protests by international human rights groups, the United States and British governments, and the United Nations torture investigator. Zhao said uh, his experiences from his previous imprisonment and the run-ins with the police, including a time in 2007 when he recounted that security forces gave him electric shocks in the genitals and placed cigarettes in his eyes, those... Those experiences helped him survive the past 14 months. I want to get China out of my life. 
It's a tough one. Chinese goods are everywhere. I'm sure if I checked out my labels, half of what I'm wearing or more is Chinese. It's easy enough to go to the grocery store and saying, "I'm not buying any Chinese vegetables." That's easy to get away with, and a good thing too. But I've got to find a way to get China out of my life. I mean, people used to make fun of all the Japanese goods. Japanese don't torture people like this. See, they just don't do it. And I got China all over me. And there's got to be a way to tell these people they've got to stop. This is hideous. This is this is just not acceptable. So from now on, I am going to de-Chinify myself in some way. I'll give you a progress report on the amount of Chinois that I um, I'm able to, uh, shall we say, vet from my my life wardrobe. China, man, China. You know, it used to be that uh, we didn't know anything about China at all, except there was this Mao. There was this Mao there, and there was this gigantic red country, huge, huge, bigger even than the Soviet Union. Gigantic. Hey, the Soviet Union. Yeah. Haven't said that in years. No, <laughs> no. The word. In fact, I'm, there's a whole generation growing up to, to whom the word Soviet would mean nothing. Oh, uh, except in America. Oh, yeah. Obama, the Soviet agent. Oh, that's Come right. On, He's the Soviet please. Let's get, get with it. Get hip. And that's true. Ted Nugent did accuse Obama also of being Mao, this being a Maoist government. So that'll keep Mao alive. Mao and Che. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mao and Che. It sounds like a new Chinese dish. Well, Who you like a Mao and Che? I, I, I have them on you. Red hot. Red <laughs> hot. International <laughs> dish. Never know where it's going to explode in you. Um <laughs> uh, when I was in the advertising business, you know, they said you cannot make any references in ads. This was radio ads for, for movies. Anything that's more than 17 years old because our target audience won't know what you're talking about. But now mm-hmm. that Obama is accused of being Soviet, a socialist, and Mao, these words are back. Yeah, yep, they've all returned. It's really strange. And, you know, otherwise, i got to tell you, uh, the daffodils are out there, and uh, the tulips are blooming, and the the the, asp- the alders are all in green, and it's spring out there, Pete. Well, there, there doesn't seem to be any politics in nature. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the daffodils are, are, are not neither politically correct or politically incorrect. They're nothing but intent. That's what I love about nature is that it's nothing but intent. There's no attitude. There's no no specific program. Well, I guess survival of the fittest or something like that, I guess, if you go into that. But. I don't think daffodils are thinking about survival of the fittest daffodil, man. No. They're just hanging, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, they're, they are, but they're already the fittest. There In you fact, go. They came up, they're bulbs, you know, they're doing just fine. So, yes, enough of the whole... Well, enough of the whole Chinese thing. I tell you, though, China, I got, I got to tell you, it's really, really bizarre. When I was there uh, doing a little speech about two years ago, I stepped outside of my hotel in Shanghai, and there were a quarter of a million people on the street. Whoa. <laughs> I, you know, and they're real close. I mean, they have different sense of, of space because there is none. And I'm walking down the street, and people are bumping up, and people are going by saying, can I, can I try my English out on you? And then half of them are trying out their English, and the other half are trying to proposition you. It's a very, very strange place. But let's get back to nature. And I have a, uh, I, you know, look, look, you know. Hey, in the studio. Yeah, a great gardener. Here's a good friend of all of ours to talk about spring. Hey, Pete, bring him on. I'm with Barton Cole. Welcome to Oz Central. It's nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you here. You know, I'm first when I first came to the um, to Whidbey, which I like to call, of course, the Emerald Island, one of the first people that befriended me was Barton Cole. Uh, and Peter uh, was pretty desperate, apparently. Uh, well, yeah, I was. I would go to no ends, Barton, to meet decent, fun, talented, wonderful people. I would. I'm just that kind of guy. Thanks. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, and I've learned a lot about gardening, particularly gardening in the forest, from you. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, you know, as you said, gardening that I can see from my back porch or whatever. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Uh, now that we're in spring. Uh, the beauty of a garden is available to everyone, uh, blossoming cherries and plums. Uh, rhododendrons, of course, are blooming. Last year we had a long, cool spring, and the extended bloom of the flowering shrubbery was pretty amazing. Uh, really, you know, out here, most people have are at the margin of a forest. So... Most of the experiences that we have, uh, a lot of the gardens use 
uh, native shrubbery, which is always a good choice, drought tolerance, etc. But one of the most remarkable things, I think, is when the denizens of the forest come and uh, visit where we're hanging out. Like You could go and sit out on your porch. I imagine, Peter, that your house is at the margin of a forest. It is indeed. And right now you could go outside. In fact, if we were out right now, we would be listening to little winter wrens singing. Yep. Uh, one of the smallest birds on the planet, one of the most widespread, they're global. Um, there's maybe 80 species of wren in the new world, but just the one wren, the same in the old world. So all the folk tales refer to the same bird that we have. That's the bird, the winter wren you were, you were talking about. Yeah, and I would mimic the song, but it's the most complex bird song <laughs> on earth. When you get it, you will come back and, and I can break it here on, on, on Radio There you us, go. Right? I find it, uh, when I hear him singing, disrespectful to talk or really do much of anything mm -hmm. other than just listening to those little guys. Yeah. Bart and Cole walking out there with all the crows and ravens surrounding him as he leaves the studio, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his nickname is Crowboy. And uh, I love crows. Remember long ago when we first started working together, how, how much we bonded on Carlos Castaneda mm -hmm. and the crows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh. Those silver crows. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a little thing from uh, uh, every, uh, uh, Everything You Know is Wrong. Everything You Know is Wrong, yeah. Yes, is uh, Bowman and Archer were the names of the characters that we played in uh, – in that show, it was part of Doctor Firesign's Theater of the Plains and and uh, and Buffalo Show. Right. Well, we're <laughs> we're we're still trying to buffalo everybody out there. That's Firesign Theater talk. Those of you who know we are, that's great. If you don't, we'll hope to bring you along as you listen to radio. Yeah. Friends. Well, that's another that's another whole story about the Firesign Theater that's hidden in our uh, forthcoming book. Everything you know is wrong is only part of the. Anything you want to. Book. And they, they already stole the, that title from oh, us. Oh, yeah. They, they stole, stole it, it over and over. Over again. And they stole Beat the Reaper from us. Yep. There's a big yep. book out, Beat the Reaper. And that's our phrase. In 1968, we created that. But what are you going to do? Nah. What are you going to do? Well, we can't sue. So we can't sue. So we, what are we going to do? I read the book, and it's okay. It's good. It's an okay read. What can I tell you? Well, I'm glad. Better than being kind stolen of, by somebody kind of who's trash. Funny, violent. Uh, let me see. It is a, 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 a strong, brutal violence throughout, with pervasive language and sexual content, and nudity, and some child, and some drug use by children. Well, yeah, a, there it is. That's if you want to see it, it's playing right now, kids. Just run right down there. She's eleven years old. She swears and she kills people. Oh, can't wait! Can't wait! It sounds like every, you know. Every, it's what happens in the vice principal's office every day at More Science High. Uh, okay, we have a, we have a, a, a special new thing on Oz, um, which is uh, Planet Proctor. Proctor's one of the fire signs. Proctor, that's Phil Proctor. Phil Proctor, who fell off the end of a couch when I first met him, and uh, that convinced me that I would laugh at him forever afterward. We've been laughing for years. And Planet Proctor's is his uh, is his. Uh, uh, what is it? Blog. Kind of, it's, it's a blog. It's a blog. Yeah, I guess so. It's like a deposit. It yeah. kind of, it, de it deposits itself. It's been around ever as long. Has a yeah. huge listenership. So you can go up to planetproctor.com, Phil Proctor, P R O C T O R. Here he is, and he is he's he is the master of found material. Mm -hmm. And he he found these these screeds about Tony Alamo's church and about the people involved in Tony Alamo's church. He was a cult guy. He was the guy that when, when back in the days in the 60s when we were all together, he had this uh, bus that would go down the Sunset Strip called something like Bus to Heaven. And he'd pick up all these waifs and he'd end up using them as slave labor in his leather um, jacket factory. <laughs> Hell of a guy. He's in jail now. And there's a whole thing about him in, in, him being uh, in jail and he doesn't belong there and he doesn't. It doesn't matter. But this is one of his acolytes, Desiree. And, and she left a bunch of uh, letters on the street or something like it. And Phil, uh, Phil Proctor is going to read one of them oh, for us. Last off to Planet Proctor. Right now. From someone who loves you very much, busboy, if only I knew your name, I would call you by it. But all I know to call you is... Bus boy, I am the girl with dark blonde hair that was sitting by the guy with a beard and black hat. And we were sitting at that round table. I need to see you. From the first glance of you, your hair caught my eye. 
I think you really look handsome. But when we looked at each other, or when I looked at you, I felt love inside for you and couldn't get you out of my mind. I need you to come get me. But you don't know where I live, and I don't know where you live. But I am paying the woman that gave this to you $5 to give this to you and to bring your note back to me. Or you can follow her to Dollar General, where she works, and I'll meet you there. Please don't disappoint me. I love you, and I want to trust you and have faith in you. I'll meet you at 7.30 p.m. Saturday. Maybe it will be better for you to send a note back so I will go out on Saturday at 7.30 and you not be there and then get caught. I will tell you my name when I see you. Love you. P.S. Until I know your name, can I call you Tony? And can you call me for the time being Monique? Busboy, follow us. I would call you by your name, but I don't know it. But follow secretly. Tonight, I will sneak out and come with you. Will you? Please do. We are driving in a bus. Please don't be caught and make it obvious. I love you and want to be your girlfriend. Thanks, Desiree. Well, Pete, I, I thought since, since you've been talking about China on this show in particular that I'd dip into a, a book I've been enjoying called Five Tang poets. Now I don't know. Is that dung poets? I never know how to pronounce Chinese. You know, T A N G. I think T A N G. We're still da- in Tang or something like it. Da- anyway, Dang Dong. Who knows? Who knows if they knew how to spell? But that's another complaint. Anyway, that was the eighth and ninth century, and I thought you'd enjoy this. Is a little. Uh, here's Pete and Dave. Kind of think of us in the eighth century in China. Okay, Boy, in the it. in the city on business, I meet one friend, and we spend the night eating and drinking at the house of another. Well, that's part part one. Okay, yeah. a high wind blows dust through the river districts. Travelers pass, hands over eyes, unrecognized. East of the city, I open my eyes, and there, as I tie up my horse, I see Yun Ching. Let's go see Liu Hao. It'll be worth the extra trip. Taking our hands, he leads us in. Lights lamps, pours wine, sets out dish after dish. Let's talk all night, he says, and live it up, and not one word about the war. The stove burns red like a tiny dawn, and the moon outside makes the paper window shine like rippled silk. A while ago, the uproar at the Capitol turned the whole world on its head. Now winter's over, spring has begun, even around the palace walls. Who'd have thought our tracks would cross again like this? Where's the time got to? And why is life so full of goodbyes? As we part in the yard, roosters are crowing in the trees, and we cry a little, drunk and happy, tears threading our cheeks. I love it. That's Radio Friaz in your ears for today. My co-host, David Osmond. Our producer is Bill McIntyre. Our audio engineer and the man that runs Blue U Studios, David Maloney. John Cumming is our technical wizard. And Phil Fountain is the head of the Oz Design Group and makes everything so beautiful up on RadioFreeOz.com. Go on up, take a look, see you, hear you, whatever, tomorrow.